Bless us, O Lord, in these thy gifts which we are about to receive from thy bounty through Christ our Lord. Amen. Bless the leaders of every nation so that they may see the path towards peace. And bless those that must make difficult decisions for the sake of a strong and lasting peace. Amen. So this episode of the podcast is brought to you, as always, by Stack Farm. Shit is getting crazy out there, and I want you all to be prepared. Whether it's the decreasing nutritional value of our commercially produced food, the shifting climate or increased political instability. So many factors can affect the global supply chain. And at the end of the day, you need real nutrition. You need it available and you need it on demand. And I think that's what home farming is going to provide the world is a way to produce good food at home in a, a simple and effective process, using a simple and effective process. Growing your own food produces more nutritional content than you can ever get from anything you can ever buy at any store. It's just the way it works. And you can get stuff you can never buy. So, build your own farm, stack, farming.co. This episode is also brought to you by Vigilant. If you have a company that wants to grow but you don't want to pay an expensive agency, you know you have smart people, they just need to know and learn exactly how this digital marketing thing really works, then you need to talk to Stack uh, Vigilant. We are a full service consulting firm that builds in-house marketing agencies. So you can get to market, sell your product, change your life, the lives of your employees and the lives of your customers. Get a free B2B marketing department charter. Vigilant.com. And last but not least, this episode is brought to you by Speechfully. Speak your mind fully. Speechfully.com. The social media platform for anybody that wants their own private social media site. Sensor-proof, e-commerce enabled. Let's get after it in 2020. Speechfully.com. So what a absolutely crazy week it has been. For those of you who listened to the last episode of a break, I was on the verge of financial collapse and I have pulled through, not without the mercy of God. I went so hard, I went in every direction I could, I did so much, yet I broke down, I couldn't do it, and I called my family and asked for help. I admitted I needed help, which I was reluctant to admit. In my heart, I had this attitude of, I got this, I'll do this, I can make this happen, and I don't know how they did it, and I don't... And I have a feeling it's going to hurt their bottom line, if you will. But they uh, gave me a little loan. And that loan bridged the gap. The, I mean, hours after I asked for help, a client asked for more work. And so everything is moving onward and upward. And I can't help but feel that God stretched me, looking back on it, just past my point of breaking. You know, I did not do it by myself. And to be honest, this has actually increased the level of intimacy between my parents and I and deepened our relationship together because we were not on good terms. And me asking asking for their help and them being in a position to help and have an honest conversation about what's going on really strengthened our ties of coming to visit. There is a renewed sense of 
of purpose in each other's lives. And accepting money from someone is ultimately a holy act. It's a spiritual contract. It represents trust and honor. Money does, it seems to anyway. So, so I needed help and I got help. And uh, moments later, after admitting my inadequacies, uh, more work came in. And I can't quite believe it. Vigilant has ended up becoming a consulting company with a single single hourly rate. And uh, this is, I mean, it's just so much better in so many different ways I can get into it. Um, the, my daughter's coloring across the room. The, um, I was trying to sell people something I wanted them to buy because I was looking at my finances and I wanted X income. You know, I want to make 20 grand a month. And I said, okay, that's four customers at five grand a month. So let's put a package together that's valued at five grand. And I went out and tried selling it. And it was a real uphill battle. I mean, I got interest, but closing was like exponentially difficult. Finally, a client said, we're not interested in your five grand package. You have an hourly rate and I got so disappointed and I thought this is over you know I'm only gonna get a tiny bit of money turns out though they need at least 20 hours a month and I put my hourly rate with my partner I put I said how much would we want to make if we had to consult if it work full-time what would be our goal what could we make and I think I could make 20 grand a month in the right job and I think she could make a hundred, uh, nine grand a month, hundred grand a year. That's beautiful, honey. And so, at an hourly rate, that comes to one twenty-five an hour for me and fifty dollars an hour for her, and combined, that's one hundred seventy-five dollars an hour. So we said that's our hourly rate, and uh, it turns out this client needs at least twenty hours a month. <clears throat> And the interesting thing is, that comes out to 3,500 a month. We were pitching a five grand a month package, but there was at least $1,500 worth of expenses in there. We're giving them 10 videos, 10 blog posts, 10 emails, so much content, so much value, email autoresponder, full automation, training, everything. And we would do it all for them, for this one low fee. But people, you got it, honey? People were hesitant to commit to not only the five grand a month, but the three months it needs to work. So uh, we need to do it to show results plus their ad spend. So it's really 18 grand they're committing to for something they don't know or understand why it's so valuable and different and special. So this is a hard sell. And these are companies who are making one to five million a year. So spending, you know, an annualized 60 grand, you know, 72 to 96 grand a year with ad spend, one to $3,000 a year in ad spend, so six to $8,000 a month, that's a, that's a lot. That's too much to spend on your marketing. And they already have people and resources and stuff, so the opposite or the alternative is this hourly rate, 175 an hour, and it's a very typical, standard, boring, plain, accepted, widespread billing practice for every agency. And we've come full circle now to being just another agency. However, we're a marketing consulting firm and we consult on teaching your people how to set up their marketing best. So it is different. And you replace the agency, you 10 extra throughput, you have all these benefits, you do everything in-house, do it better, do it faster, do it more affordably um, for this one hourly rate. And it was just such a big aha moment. Of course, you have to sell people on what they wanna buy. And people don't wanna buy big, expensive, complicated packages. They want, in this case, in marketing consulting, they want, um, they want flexible, scalable hourly fee, right? 175 for one hour. 
they can swallow that. How many hours does it take to do this? This being something they specifically want, not what we're imposing on them. Here's this package that's everyone that we're pitching everybody. Well, we don't want videos, or we don't want that many videos, and we want this, and we don't want that, right? Oh, we want custom software. Okay, well, now we can tell you how to do it. We want whatever it is you need to do, it fits into this one beautiful, elegant number, 175 an hour. And uh, it lets them scale up, scale down, and, the, and it lets us get started faster. Just buy 10 hours and we'll get to work. Okay. Well, 1750 is a non-trivial amount of money coming in. That's rent for me. It's awesome. And then we get in there and we show incredible value. Boom, 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 boom. Stuff you would never get out of anybody else. We help them grow and then they'll need us to keep growing as they grow. It's a beautiful thing. So I'm very excited for 2020. Vigilant's going to do great. It's going to be a cash cow. We're going to help people save money and make money. So the ROI for them is going to be through the roof. We're going to delight everybody. It's going to be awesome. I hope to put my whole family to work, to be honest, because I have all these smart people in my family who could help. Um, and why not? So, you know, growing up, I had this issue where I associated love with money. And it has created problems in my life, but it also has given me superpowers once I've gotten to control them, channel those, what were once problems. You know, a problem on a problem is only a problem because it's unchanneled energy. Even a psychopath can be channeled into becoming a warrior and killing for good, right? In the worst case scenario, it can even be turned into a positive thing. Um, me having no sense of money and associating money with love and affection has created a person that can ask people for money very easily, which is a problem if you don't have money, but it's great if you're making money. Now you can fundraise, you can get clients, you can do all sorts of stuff. You can negotiate. And I can create a family business because because I, because I, my, what would be a, you know, something lacking my disposition, you think it's unhealthy to think of money and love as the same, but then it forces me to create a company where I'm loving, quote unquote, paying my family. And I think that is what God's calling me to do. I, you know, I feel a bit like Noah seeing these cataclysmic events coming down the pike as many of us have right and we're, the reasons these stories are in the bible is because they speak to whether or not they actually happen it doesn't actually matter think about it and i do believe there's a lot of like historical facts in the bible and the quran and the uh, torah but more importantly the reason they withstood the test of time is because they speak to archetypes archetypes that are present in every human being in that seem to be hard-coded in the universe itself so much so that we see them in the stars and we feel them in our lives and they seem to be part of the structure of reality stories seem to be a part of reality they're probably the reason it's probably the reason to me why we learn through storytelling so well it's reality itself is a story and we feel that at a deep almost cellular level right and so the archetype of noah where you see you know god speaks to you and you see the great cataclysm coming and you devote your life to fervently building some sort of ark to survive the coming flood and looking back on my life God spoke to me very clearly one day where he showed me just in a quick succession, I saw images flash across my mind of great cataclysms. The day I found out about the North Atlantic gyre shifting due to icebergs melting into the ocean. And I was like, oh my God, this is gonna lead to that. That's gonna lead to this. This is gonna lead to this. And uh, we're gonna be up up the creek without a paddle 
and it was so clear and obvious to me that I devoted my life to finding solutions. And it led me down a path to biophysics, to indoor farming, to entrepreneurship. And I feel very strongly, you know, I, I spent, I was a poet, man. I was writing lyrics, song lyrics during English class. That was my MO. I made, I made my classmates laugh because it was that, like the I strove, I strive, strove, I would strive for making the entire room laugh. That was like the pinnacle of success to me in a given class. I was not mathematically gifted. In fact, I probably have several learning disabilities. <laughs> I am not good at algebra. To this day, I cannot keep track of pluses and minuses and I'll make a mistake dividing, you know, simple, simple stuff that leads to really big errors. It's like, you know, each piece of algebra is a brick in the wall of a larger computation. And if you mess up a brick early on, like your whole structure, it doesn't stand, right? And I was so passionate about finding solutions in a way fleeing from the disaster I felt in my own life, which was this unending sense of doom and apocalypse. And I found refuge in physics as a way to solve these problems. One of those solutions I found, I found them to all be discovered already. Most of them, they just need to be applied and maybe synthesized and commercialized, I realized. And so I spent five years of my life learning physics, which was tough, man. I had to overcome my ADD. I had to overcome my fear of learning math. I had to start at Math 090, a sub. That's like, in college, I had to take my first math class was um, high school level. You know what I mean? So I, every semester from there on out, I took a math course, clawing my way up to the top, taking summer school, clawing my way up to normal, right? Getting into the engineering school somehow, and then begging, literally begging my way into the physics department, saying, hey guys, I emailed professors. I'm not, you know, I, I can't take your class officially because my grade in the previous class wasn't good enough, but I so desperately want to learn physics. Can you please manually let me in? And they would say, yes, sure, you have that much passion, come on in. And I kind of became a mascot of the physics department. I was so excited by it all, but I was just bad at the actual math. <laughs> but I would come up with these great ideas. They turned out to be too much for the department. Regardless, after that, I learned five years of how to start a company from nothing. How to raise money, bootstrap, hire, fire, I mean all of it, at the very smallest level, how to start companies. And so a decade later, I layered on a lot of digital marketing in the meantime, or along the way. And now I have, I believe, a couple arcs here. I really do. Vigilant will survive the coming ad apocalypse. Once people realize how much money is being wasted on in their ad spend across bidding networks, like display networks, billions and billions of dollars, there's gonna be a giant, what's the opposite of a flood when the water retracts, right? The sea level's gonna drop. Liquidity is gonna drop in these markets, if you will amongst ad buyers and everyone's going to pull their marketing in-house and it's already happening it's just not popular yet because there's no proven way to do that successfully and we've come up i've come up with the platform to do that so i made an app over christmas break for vigilant and you know there's like a vigilant operating system is going to be this app that's like the windows of marketing, in-house marketing agencies. And it'll come always free with a bunch of training material. And then you'll be able to buy apps as needed to do tasks per your, you know, for the, for the, for the strategy that best fits your business, which is different for every market product combination. And so we're unbundling Salesforce, if you will. Doing it better, cheaper for everybody, and then, you know, 
we get the uh, the differential. This is a billion dollar opportunity in and of itself. If you've seen what Facebook uh, Salesforce makes every year, it's a hundred billion dollar plus market cap, but it's generating I think ten billion a year in revenue. Um, I'm not going to re-look into those numbers because it'll send me down a rabbit hole. But um, so the first app is a fifty dollar a month LinkedIn analytics tool for for uh, B2B marketing and sales teams. Huge opportunity, blah, 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 it's great. We'll build that up over time, but the goal is to gonna get people into the training program first and then sell it against that community, sell into that community, instead of selling the product to the public because that wastes your money. Spend your money building community and then sales will occur naturally from there. And I see Vigilant as a way of hiring all my friends and family. They don't have to work with me. I would never force them. But if they want a job, it's always available. Because guess what? All my friends and family are awesome and smart people. They're people I would love to have. They should, that any company would be lucky to have, let alone ours. So my co-founder there is my sister-in-law. And we just really get along and we click. And she lets me rant. I listen to her. It's a really great relationship. And um, so I feel like that's an arc in and of itself. And then there's this other arc. I guess I'm an arc launcher, man. I'm like a shipyard. I feel like I'm a shipyard. I really do. And then there's the more classical idea of an arc is this indoor farming. I mean, the food system is on the verge of something. You know, with this whole Iran deal, which I'm gonna, excuse me, get into in a minute. Uh, if if the problems in our food system weren't bad enough, now the idea or the threat of a cyber attack or physical kinetic attack on our on America or the globe's distribution logistics network is very real. Very, very real. I don't think Iran is dumb enough to attack, uh, what's the term, like head-to-head, overtly and into the, you know, greatest military force the world has ever seen, head-on. But they'll most likely use proxies and cunning, you know, the Persians are ingenious. If you've ever seen a Persian engineer, they're like really good at coming up with, um, unorthodox solutions, especially amongst in, in uh, resource-constrained environments. And then when your back's up against the wall, right? So I have no idea what's going on. And I, I, I feel like I'm channeling that Persian ingenuity, but into something beautiful and peaceful and good for all. It's the, you know, that age-old yin and yang. You could use your same talents for evil, or you could use them for good. So it's very strange to see this all happen. And here I am, straddling a foot in each world. I was born in Tehran, but I was reborn in America, right? I was raised in America. Who gave me everything I have? America did. Who has, who has haunted my dreams with nightmares? Iran has. I've inherited so much bullshit from those people, I can't even tell you. Do I hate them? How can I hate them? It's like hating myself. Do I want to... Do I want a free and prosperous Iran? Of course. We're all, we should be unified in our hate for the Ayatollahs, the Mullahs. And so, before I get into all that, I feel like Noah in that I spent a decade working on the foundations of solutions before the flood came. And now it feels like the flood's about to hit in some metaphorical way. I don't know. I've never been more concerned, level-headedly concerned. And... Those years where you're working in the middle of 
some abandoned warehouse alone for years on end. The only thing keeping you company is, you know, podcasts. And the only thing keeping you moving is cannabis. I mean, there was literally, that was what got me through those dark nights. I'm talking poor, not just broke, but like mentally poor, like emotionally or financially poor. I was not able to keep money. I was, I was not good with money. So money would come and go with little I had, or I'd turn away money in my, you know, weird quest to be pure or something. Stressed out, hungry, hungry for fame, hungry for food often. No, I should not make it seem like I was ill-fed. I was well-fed through this whole thing. But I was working hard, lifting weight, like heavy weights, moving crazy stuff. I often had help, thank God, but less and less help as time went on. Started out with help and it just became less and less. And now I feel like my, my boats are ready. The cool thing about these boats, if you will, these arts, is that you don't have to be in my company to receive the benefits of these. You can be a customer and be a benefit. Of course, you could be an investor and be a benefit. But, you know, you can buy your own home farm. You can you start your own business and have it launch with Vigilant. There's so much we can do to help each other, it's incredible. And then of course, the more profit we make, it goes back into this business. And, uh, you know, I'm capping my salary at 250. Across all my work, 250. That's a lot of money, but from three different businesses that could generate heavy cash flow, I could draw a lot more if I wanted to. I don't believe I want to, I don't want, I mean, think about it. If I had a company that's making a killing, and I could pull in 500 a year. There is a part of me, yes, that wants to join the 1% of income generators. Their incomes on the world, in the US, I think it's 421 a year. Of course, I want to say that, I'm one percenter. But 250, that's five people, that's extra 200 bucks, that's four people I could be paying 50 grand a year. You know how much work we could get done together? So it's not, it's counterproductive to growing wealth, to pay yourself too much. And uh, I need to grow these things as fast as possible, especially Vigilant, uh, excuse me, especially Stag Farm. So, looks like a friend of mine might put in 5K, that'll seed the company. Looks like some other folks wanna put in 50, and then I got a target. You know, right now I'm optimizing for speed. So, for 5K I'm giving away 1%, selling 1%, it's very high. For 50K, I'm selling as of now, 5%. And for 500K, I'm selling 25%. Now there's obviously math that needs to be done for dilution and so on. And if things change, things change. But with 500 grand, I can get a farm into every house in the US at least. Be able to get a farm in every house, be ready for that. So, um, my goal is to get a million from a company called Hawthorne Growing Co, subsidiary of Scott's Miracle Grow, half in cash, half in in-kind services, so that I can manufacture specific parts across their portfolio of Hydro, uh, you know, cannabis hydroponic companies, lights, trays, everything, and put that into a kit that can go into every home through their distribution networks and so on. Um, that's my ideal goal. Got to get there. It's not simple, but it could be done by the end of 2020. And the more external pressure, the faster that could happen, as in geopolitical or economic, on the on the market. So let's get into Iran. You know, I want to believe Trump did the right thing. That's my belief, but I don't know why. I just have faith in the man that goes beyond reason. Now, oftentimes we do what seems like the wrong thing 
in the moment that turns out to be best, leads to bet and the best outcome possible afterwards. Um, saying something or doing something negative in a negative relationship that ends the relationship. In, in, when in reality, nothing else would have ended that relationship. That happens a lot. It happens at, you know, when you're in a negative relationship, it brings the negativity out of you. And when both sides put so much, bring out and, and place so much negativity in between them, in the relationship, which lives in between them, it separates the, the two parties. And they're allowed and freed to go on their separate ways. Now, if you can acknowledge that you did something wrong and change your behavior, you don't actually have to apologize. Apologizing doesn't do anything. Actually, I mean, it does do something, but it doesn't change anything in the future. Changing your behavior is 100 times more important than apologizing. And so a strong person won't apologize, but they'll change your behavior and you won't see them do it again. So Mr. Trump could certainly do that. President Trump could certainly do that. Um, now I heard the Iraqi parliament is voting to oust American troops from Iraq and that the general that was droned, the Iranian general, was carrying a message back from Iran regarding Saudi-led push for de-escalation when we droned him. You know, was that a mistake? We'll, we'll find out. But God is using us all to work through this is what I see what's happening there's this movie called The Imitation Game and it was about Alan Turing, 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 Turing who invented the first computer effectively to decrypt what do they call it, the Enigma machine um, which was a Nazi uh, code machine that was found in like a boat and when you finally, it was a machine that used the code to let all the Nazi, you know, planes and ships and army, military, communicate in secret. One of them was found, and this guy, Alan Turing, Turing, worked out how to decipher the code. And he had to build the world's first computer to do so. And he was considered mad and crazy and whatnot, but he was allowed to do it for the military, and it happened. So he, great, they cracked the code. Now, the problem was, if they used the code to, to, to block an attack, then the Nazis could quickly figure out their code was blocked, and therefore change their code. And Alan would have to redo the whole thing, and there's no guarantee he would solve the new code. So they had to make this terrible choice to mathematically identify the number, the number of attacks that they could thwart without signaling to the Nazis that their code has been found. So they had to sacrifice some other people some of the time to stop the war in the fastest way possible. The fastest way possible being the one that allows them to continuously use the code at all times. So any given move they make could save a ton of lives, 100% of lives at that moment. But the code would change and they would have 0% chance of saving lives the next battle, the battle, the next battle. So they had to de-escalate through this play-by-play -play that each one led to X number of casualties, but over 10 years or whatever the time frame of that, you know, the totality of the, of the moment, from the moment they had the code to the moment the war ended, decreased the number of lives in total, lives lost in total. And I think God might be doing that through us right now. We're getting to peace, people, one way or another. It has to happen. It's happening. It's an inevitability. It's an eventuality. 
the time for the era of endless wars is over. But we might have to get there through a couple conflicts to release steam and pressure, to bring out negative elements, toxic elements into the light so they can be seen and dismantled. And to and to resolve or leave or to use strategies that are waiting in the wings. There's a ton of people that want war. Some of them are going to get what they want. But we have to give, God may be trying to give as few of them what they want in a way that works towards peace as fast as possible. Like this war has been coming between Iran and America for decades. But past it. Uh, um, presidency, what are they called? Administration. All but, I mean, let ISIS fester. Gave cash to Iran. Allowed them to, you know, keep aspects of the nuclear program. All sorts of crazy shit. It's insane when you think about it. Trump comes in, he cleans up ISIS. And now, it might be inevitable. A war, I don't see how we could not go to some skirmish with Iran. Everyone in Washington wants it. Everyone in the media seems to want it. And we invaded Iraq and Afghanistan on both sides. We're in you know, Saudi Arabia and Lebanon and Yemen. So they're like surrounded and they're fighting all these proxy wars to keep everyone busy outside their borders. And... Uh, the likelihood of some weird proxy attack to just not be to to not be seen as weak is in is very high to me. Don't know what that would be. But it's a ticking time bomb that needs to relieve pressure before it can be like buried in the sand. You know what I'm saying? Now President Trump is playing the strength card, which Iranians understand, but hate. And I don't know what, I, I don't know what the best solution is. I really don't. Should he have murked that guy? It was like a straight up assassination. Would I have to have the strength to do that? I don't think so. But I have to believe it's working out in the best way for all. Nobody wants outright war. But I think everybody wants to take a pot shot, you know what I mean? And moving past, you know, some day, I mean, there was rumors or speculation on Twitter that Iran's Ayatollah was second in command to this guy, Salamani. And by taking him out, they've actually opened up a path towards peace. And at first I thought that's crazy, but then, you know, the guy said, Scott Adams said, who has the true power in a brutal dictatorship? The guy with the holy book or the guy with the gun? And it's the guy with the gun. Ultimately, right? And then I was thinking, if you are, if you've devoted your whole life to creating, you know, a network of war, a war machine, would you accept readily a diplomatic outcome that dismantles your war machine, makes it irrelevant? Because right now, Iran's fighting in all these countries. Israel, through Hezbollah, in the Houthis, through in Lebanon, or Yemen. Countless militias in Syria, countless 
militias in Iraq, the Taliban in Afghanistan. Um, they're there. They are there training, supporting, funding, equipping, right? And so we've been at war with Iran for a very long time. Since September 11th, really. Um, we've been at World War III. I mean, the global war on terror has been truly global. My point being, the guy that was in charge of all that, I believe, is the general that got droned. Would he want his legacy to be erased overnight if Iran was to open up to the world. I don't think any man wants their legacy erased. And if you are evil, if you've convinced yourself you're not, I doubt he believes you're doing evil. So he thinks his legacy is good, and therefore, you know what I mean? So him out of the picture now might be an interesting opportunity. And there's another Twitter suggestion or idea, rumor that Russia told us about its location um, in, ex in exchange or repayment for us telling them some information earlier that the press railed against Trump for doing. That would be interesting too because it would telegraph to the Iranians that Russia does not have your back no matter what. China's asking for de-escalation Supposedly Saudi Arabia was working behind the scenes for de-escalation. Um, but now you have Iraq kicking out America. This interesting Afghanistani president said they will, their, bait, their soil will not be used to attack Iran, which is interesting. And so, in a weird way, this airstrike, this drone strike, which Obama did... 10,000 of, like crazy number of bombs were dropped by Obama's Department of Defense. With like a 90% roughly civilian casualty rate, by the way. Including an American citizen in a cafe. Insane. Almost as if to aggravate and create ISIS. Jesus. So, this one drone strike has led to America getting out of Iraq has led to Iran and Afghanistan coming closer together, might have led to Saudi Arabia taking a more mediative stance, which would be new for them in terms of Iran and any other country, um, might have backed off, cooled off Israel, who's been waiting to murk some of these guys, I'm sure. I don't know. So. It's tough to say what's going to really happen. Um, I don't want to be a fear monger and sell fucking indoor farms because of fear. But I got one. I don't know if you can hear it. In my house. I'm growing nutritionally dense foods for my family. Like, why wouldn't you? So... You know, it's a very intense time, that's for sure. And I pray for peace, but I will prepare for war. And in my case, that means bolstering the U.S. economy and the U.S. food system perhaps even the global economy and global food system. The more commerce we can have, the better off everybody will be. In fact, it leads me, it led me to daydream the other day. What if, okay, there's a post, there's a, there, there's a, Iran opens to the world. How interesting would that be? And what if I went back there with my family and started businesses there? You know, the best way to nation build is really, to build wealth in the local economy. 
Go there and hire the people. Train the people on how to start businesses. Bring American customer service to Iran, which is like, first off, American customer service is really good. A customer can get someone fired for bad customer service. Like, that doesn't happen in Iran. They go, and they, they cock their head up and get the fuck out of here. <laughs> they do not like customers. It's very antagonistic. They try to rip you off at every turn. There's no price tags, you know what I mean? They try to see how much they can get out of you. That would be a cool way to export American exceptionalism to other parts of the world. I could do international business out of Iran, travel to Asia, do all sorts of interesting, fun stuff. And I feel do my patriotic duty, fulfill my patriotic duty. Like a long time ago, I made a decision to not join the military because I realized I can make a bigger impact for the country as a business person. Right or wrong, that's what I believed, and I said, I don't think I should join the military, although I wanted to so badly. And I think it's proving out that was the right call. But the more we can trade with each other, the more stable the world will be, I think. The more wealth we can have people create for themselves, that financial freedom, joining that new economy and making money in a way that fulfills you spiritually, oof, there's no better drug. The sense of discovery you you feel when you create something new, oh, it's addicting. It's absolutely addicting. So, how do we create God's economy? I think it has to start with raising $5,000 from your family or friends. And here's how I break that down. There's $1,000 almost always needed for administrative setup. Starting the LLC or, or S Corp, C Corp, whatever, the legal documents, right? Uh, filing a provisional patent if you have anything worth that. Or even a trademark if you want to, if you have something really worth trademarking, though you shouldn't do that for most cases. Um, getting some basic software, right? And then another $1,000 on equipment. A laptop, a smartphone, a mic, a camera, right? What have you. And by laptop, it really should be a Chromebook to start out, and, or a netbook. And then a smartphone with a camera, and a good camera, a, a, something to hold it. Um, a good microphone, lapel microphone, shotgun, money, all that stuff can be bought on Amazon for $100,000. And then $3,000 in ads a month. Now this is after you've created a business plan. So where should I put a basic? If you go to aminicorp.com, A-M-I-N-I-C-O-R-P.com, aminicorp.com, um, I'll put, or maybe, I'll just put it there for now. Um, you know what, better yet, uh, go to my Twitter, I'll pin it there, at aminicorp, A-M-I-N-I-C-O-R-P, at aminicorp, and um, I'll pin a basic revenue model and a basic business executive summary. I, it's, it, it'll be literally the same kind of thing I'm making for a meeting with investors on Tuesday, this coming Tuesday, so two days from now, Tuesday morning. It's literally what I'll be using to raise 50 grand. So if it's good enough for 50 grand, it's good enough for five, right? And if you can raise five grand from your friends and family, not to funnel a lifestyle, but to create a business. You have to take as little of that for yourself as possible. Put it all into ads and admin. And you can start a business, but you have to have a really good plan, a clear-minded plan. First thing you gotta do is sell what people want. Land and expand with other ideas, but be known for something that they want. So they come to you and then you upsell them later with something they never knew existed or they didn't know they want. 
even Apple did not launch the iPad and the iPhone first. They were selling computers that people wanted. They were had money, cash in hand looking for computers. They built a better computer. So you can sell a service or you can sell a product. A product can be physical or it could be digital. A service could be local or remote, right? You can sell someone else's product or service or you can sell your own. You can sell something that already exists with better customer service or uh, benefits or better pricing. You could sell something locally or nationally. If you don't know what to sell, then you're in a you're not ready. If you know what to sell, it means you have some vision for something in the world that God is asking you to put out there. And you have to find the best route to do it. So keep the endpoint fixed, but the path infinitely flexible, and you can get there. If you don't know what to sell, then don't waste this money. Go work, help someone else. Join someone else that has something that you're passionate about selling. That passion is, can't be faked. It's coming from God, ultimately. And it means there's something there. And you can follow that thread. Sometimes it might take you a decade, but it doesn't have to. And if you don't, you know, if you want to do this, but you don't know what to sell, you're most likely the business side of it. You should partner with someone who knows what to sell, but doesn't know how to sell it. And they're the product side of the business. So the business side of it is more about operations and numbers and quantifying and often works with external stakeholders like customers and everyone outside of the company. The product side is more about art and feeling and qualitative and works best with people inside the company. And understand that boundary. Learn from each other, but defer to each other as well. I think we gotta take the family on a mountain trip, or else we're all gonna go crazy. All right, all right, I gotta go break this up. I love you guys, Godspeed, and um, thank you for listening, bye.